Hello everyone and welcome to the PE Talks Africa podcast, a podcast by the African Private Capital Association. And I am here today with Ali El Shalakani, managing partner at Akasia Ventures. And we are here to explore the critical intersection of finance, ethics and freedom, shedding light on how private investment can address pressing global issues, including poverty, inequality and environmental sustainability all of which are key issues in today's climate. Hi Ali, um, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I read that Cassia's mission is to create a fund to fuel the people of today and create real success for tomorrow. Could you tell us about your role at the company and uh, talk us through Cassia's mission? Sure, no problem, happy to do that. So uh, I'm the managing partner of Cassia Ventures. I also have uh, my partner Biola Alabi uh, who's Nigerian-American, and she leads our Lagos office. Um, and together, we, we work with another team of uh, three investment associates. Um, our mission uh, is to back exceptional founders building digital solutions that can solve real and essential problems at scale. Uh, today, our focus is on the larger African markets, and uh, we've refined our thesis um, considering what's available today to focus on four four sector areas, which are uh, fintech, agtech, uh, e-commerce, and SaaS. Perfect. Thank you so much. And we know that your team has invested in Nigerian startups, including Credpal and Fez Delivery. But what led you to open an office in Lagos? Yeah. So I, I, as I said, like uh, part of our thesis is to really kind of help founders to have success in the larger markets on the continent, and um, to really create a soft landing for expansion across these markets. And I think if we just take one step back um, on on kind of uh, the motivation to to kind of uh, expand from just Cairo to, to also have an office in Lagos, you really have to think about what Egypt and Nigeria are all about. Uh, so obviously, we know that they're part of the big four in terms of the tech sectors uh, on the continent. Um, and uh, but Egypt and Nigeria represent 23 percent of the population of Africa uh, in any given year, uh, 30 to 50 percent of all VC investment uh, goes into Egypt and Nigeria, and 70% of all unicorns uh, created to date on the continent come from Egypt and Nigeria. Um, so uh, I think the, the real question is like, uh, you know, who shouldn't be really focusing on those two markets? But, um, you know, it, it takes me back to when I first started investing in technology on the continent, which was about 12 years ago. Uh, I started off as an angel investor, and I think the motivation for me at the time was I got exposed to tech entrepreneurs from uh, other parts of the world uh, as uh, an Endeavor mentor. And I was really surprised how come there's, we don't have more of those on the continent. And there was two way, things I could do about it, which was either to feel bad about it or to do something about it. And I decided to do something about it by co-founding the first angel network in Africa back in 2011. And I think when I, look, uh, when I looked also about three, four years ago, when I could really see an inflection point uh, on the continent in terms of uh, technology businesses really being able to grow and scale, I was very surprised that there wasn't enough uh, cross-pollination uh, between uh, the larger markets, specifically North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa and, uh, and Egypt and, and Nigeria as well. Um, and again, you know, I, I, again, I could either feel bad about it or do something about it. And I think the, what I did about it was, was to launch Akasia Ventures and uh, and I was lucky enough to, to meet my partner, Biola, uh, to join me on that mission. And, and together, we, you know, we now have uh, boots on the ground 
in uh, Cairo and Lagos. And we, we hope to have offices in the major markets in the next few years. Thank you, Ali. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and moving back to your thesis and your mission, how can private capital be a force for positive change, um, addressing the issues that we spoke of, like poverty, inequality, and environmental sustainability in Africa, as well as on a global scale? Yeah, so I really love this question. Uh, and I, I, um, I love it uh, even more because um, this very question came up uh, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, my partner, Biola, and I, uh, we're lucky to be invited to participate in a really great program called the Africa Venture Finance Program at Oxford uh, Business School. Um, and we actually, uh, as part of the program, we had an Oxford debate about this, uh, this very question. And uh, without kind of drawing out the entire uh, you know, debate, uh, but the winning argument was that actually any private capital investing in legal and ethical areas and industries uh, in Africa are really, by definition, uh, by definition, having a positive impact. Um, and I, I must say that I subscribe to this as well. Um, and I think that our view at Acacia Ventures has always been that there doesn't need to be a trade-off between uh, financial and impact returns. Um, you, can, you can do good and also make money. Uh, there's no contradiction there, and we shouldn't feel bad about it. Um, but I think having said this as well, like it's, um, it's a spectrum. So if you want to just meet the minimum threshold of like not investing in illegal or unethical areas uh, as private capital, then you've met sort of a very minimum threshold. Uh, we, we, have a, we approach things with a lot, with a lot more intentionality. Um, uh, even though we are not an impact fund, we're an impact-oriented fund. Um, and we kind of focus on four areas of impact. Uh, so two of those are, are cross-sectorial, uh, which is uh, gender diversity. Uh, that's one that we really focus on and uh, we actually um, we do a lot of uh, training and we do a lot of work with our portfolio companies to try to really move the needle on that. Um, as you know, this is uh, the, the numbers globally are quite abysmal when it comes to female co-founders and the level of uh, women involved in the workforce. And we're trying to make a real change uh, in the way that we approach that with our investments. Uh, another uh, cross-sectorial area is to pr provide um, high quality jobs uh, for youth um, and to provide also safe uh, and progressive work environments um, uh, with, with great businesses on the continent. Um, and then there's two others that are kind of related to the sector areas uh, that we, that, or two of the sector areas that we focus on. Uh, so one of them is financial inclusion. And every time we do a, a fintech investment, uh, there needs to be a financial inclusion element uh, to that investment. Uh, and uh, last but not least is uh, zero hunger. And because we invest in AgTech, we really believe that food security and sustainable farming practices um, is very, very important for the future of the continent. And that's that brings us to four, the four areas of impact that we focus on. Just touching on your answer there, um, I suppose for a, a fund to be sustainable, you do need to see some of those kind of financial returns. Um, so could you share an example of an, a successful uh, impact investment that not only generated a return, but also made a significant positive impact on society or on the environment? Yeah, no problem. So um, we, we're currently investing out of our first fund, uh, so we don't have any exits just yet. So I'm going to pick one uh, from uh, my time uh, leading uh, the Cairo Angels uh, as an angel network. Um, and uh, basically, uh, 
we invested in a in a company uh, called Fatura. Fatura uh, is a B two B e-commerce uh, platform uh, that also has an embedded finance element. Um, and the problem that Fatura uh, was uh, trying to solve, uh, you know, when they first came to us, and this is in 2020, um, is look the supply chains for FMCG products. Uh, in Egypt and most of the large markets in, in Africa and, and many other markets outside of Africa as well, are very inefficient. Um, and that leads to uh, two things. It leads to um, prices being very unequal uh, throughout the, the larger market that you're serving. And usually there's uh, a squeeze on the, uh, the retailers uh, who depend on, on the sale of these products for their livelihoods. And this is a really big chunk of the population that is servicing, uh, servicing those markets. Um, and these folks also don't have any access to credit. Uh, so it means that they're unable to create social mobility through their businesses because they're unable to kind of, um, let's say, restock until they finish their sales because nobody's going to take uh, a sort of, uh, or nobody's going to believe in them uh, because they just don't have the infrastructure to be able to follow who are the better retailers than the, the not so good retailers? Um, so Fatura, Fatura's mission was to, to really provide a digital solution uh, to solve this problem. Uh, firstly, by uh, solving the, um, the, the supply chain issues um, using an asset light model. Uh, and uh, they did that very successfully. And then they bolted on an embedded finance element so that they could start extending credit to uh, the retailers uh, that they were servicing. So until now, I think you know I haven't even touched on any impact uh, returns at all. Um, uh, just to give you, just to maybe finish off the financial return side. So this was uh, one of our best investments. So we uh, we invested in Fatura uh, as first check in um, uh, April 2020. So this is a month after COVID. So you know I have to give us uh, some kudos for kind of doing that uh, one month into the the pandemic. Um, but we were we were rewarded because we backed a fantastic team. And we had an exit in, uh, in less than two years uh, thereafter in 2022. Um, so, uh, so great investment, great return on investment for us, backing a fantastic team. Uh, let's look at now the impact. Uh, Fatura uh, have helped uh, thousands of uh, retailers uh, across Egypt to be able to, um, to share uh, the advantages of leveraging technology that was provided Fatura to be able to have higher margins than they uh, than they had before, working with a series of middlemen, and I, I use the word men intentionally because usually it's men, but I mean so middlemen and women, but it's usually men, um, and uh, so they were able to improve their margins on the sale of the FMCG products. They were able also to fix the price of these products so that uh, you wouldn't have inconsistent pricing uh, with uh, consumers, and this is something that was good for consumers. But also, of course, good also for the manufacturers because they want to be able to have price transparency across those markets. And guess what? They also reward those retailers uh, because now with uh, with uh, Fatura empowering, uh, let's say, a view on all of these thousands of retailers, they're able to extend credit uh, for those retailers so that they can buy inventory and, and improve their sales cycle and reduce the burden on their cash flow, which means that they can now start to expand uh, their businesses as opposed to living day by day. So these are just kind of very top line, uh, big, big improvements at scale, uh, I think, from an impact perspective. And of course, as Fatura scales, they can they can approach this also with more intentionality 
by providing tailor-made programs to encourage more women uh, to be part of this industry um, and, and, and many other things besides, right? So I think just as a start, you know, within uh, three, four years of their, of their life cycle, Fatura have done a great job and we're really proud to have backed that team. Thank you, Ali. I think that's going to be uh, very motivating for um, investors uh, investing on the continent to hear, as well as the, um, the wider community. So what ethical considerations should investors and businesses prioritize when pursuing impact-driven initiatives? And how do these considerations influence decision-making? Yeah, so I think uh, maybe one thing I should mention at this point is that uh, before becoming a venture capitalist, I was actually a, a lawyer for uh, for about 15 years. Uh, so I'm going to give you a bit of a process <laughs> uh, response, but it hopefully should give you a you know a bit more of a holistic view on, on how I look at this and I think others look at this as well, which is you have the things that you shouldn't invest in, uh, which are illegal or unethical. And there are some guidelines that were developed from private equity uh, specifically through IFC, uh, like the prohibition list that prohibits uh, investment in particular areas like uh, tobacco and uh, and other, let's say, unethical areas that might be legal but not considered ethical, uh, you know, arms and, uh, you know, things like that. Um, so those are things that you should definitely not be doing uh, as, a, as, a, as an investor full stop, uh, especially if you're an impact-driven uh, investor. Um, but then... Let's look at the more progressive way to look at things, which is when you come to look at investment uh, and thereafter, are you, do you have a framework in place to be able to uh, measure uh, what the impact of that investment will be like and what impact can happen uh, going forward, especially if you approach it with intentionality, right? So, uh, you know, as I said, um, we focus on four areas and we don't just focus on them, you know, like kind of have it on a pitch deck. We integrated uh, those four areas of impact in the metrics that we look at when we look at any investment that we're going to be investing in. And we measure what the numbers are today. And we have a very open discussion with the founders about whether this is something they care about or they don't care about. And I think the worst thing is to try to force founders to pursue things that they don't really care about. And I think the... Um, the blessing and the curse a little bit uh, in the con on the continent is that most of the, um, the LPs investing in funds are, uh, are development finance institutions. So they, of course, come with a lot of um, requirements. Um, and I think sometimes by the time those requirements get to portfolio companies, they can become a box ticking exercise. And I think that's not the right approach, uh, in our opinion. I don't think that's intentional, by the way, by any of the LPs. Um, you know, they're, they're trying their best, but I think that this is an area that uh, we need to improve together as a community. And the way that we try to do it is to be very practical. Uh, so we actually are a member of a global community of, um, of VCs that have ESG at the heart of what they do called Venture ESG. Um, I think we're one of the first members on the continent to, to, to have founded that uh, community. And uh, we're very proud to be there. And essentially uh, what Venture ESG does is to develop practical approaches and frameworks uh, to measuring ESG and also to look at impact. Obviously, those are not one and the same, uh, but there is, a, there is a, let's say, an interconnectivity between the way that they interact together. Um, and we use that to make all of our investment decisions. And then we track those just as we track uh, financial metrics. So when we uh, have our quarterly reporting from our portfolio companies, we ask them to report not only on financial and commercial numbers, 
but also on impact numbers. And we monitor those and we have a, a check-in after every uh, after every quarterly report. Um, and we discuss those areas with them and we try to develop a plan on how we can work to improve some of those issues, whether they are financial, commercial or impact. So that's the way that we approach it. There's many different ways that other people are doing as well. Uh, but I think that's, uh, you know, having a framework and having intentionality is something that's uh, that's important if you really want to be considered an impact driven uh, fund. Thank you, Ali. That was um, that was a very interesting answer. And I think you might have touched on the, the next question slightly. In what ways can finance and investment practices be reimagined to promote greater ethical uh, responsibility and freedom for all stakeholders? Yeah. So as you as you as you said, right, I did kind of touch on this in the uh, you know in my last uh, response, which is I think having a framework uh, that works is very important. Uh, that's something that we've definitely developed. But we also we think, you know, at the heart of what we do, and by the way, Biola um, was also an angel investor. So she comes, uh, you know, the DNA that we bring to the firm is as an ecosystem builder and how we can really improve things, not only for ourselves, but for the community at wide. Um, and uh, what does that mean in terms of different stakeholders? And when it comes to um, finance and investment practices, we, have, we try to have a uh, uh, discussions with the uh, limited partners because uh, they are, of course, essential uh, stakeholder to uh, f- to venture capital firms like ourselves. Uh, so, how can we work together to create sustainable and practical frameworks? That's one side. The other side is also how do we do this with uh, founders, right? So, maybe I'll just take uh, since I've spoken a, a bit more about uh, how we do that with LPs, I can switch gears to to uh, G- to founders a little bit. So, with founders, we have a very open discussion. Uh, you know, what's the uh, let's say what's the fund uh, founder fit uh, here? Uh, you know, do we share the same values? Uh, you know, are we going to be able to work together uh, to build something over the next ten years? It's a very long-term relationship, uh, longer than, uh, as I say, most marriages in the U.S. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, it's 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 you got to be in it for the long haul, and you really have to make sure that you share the same uh, values together. Uh, so that's all very nice. We we have that chat. We find that there's fit. Now we need to kind of roll up our sleeves and do the work. And that really comes in, in, in uh, I think it's a process, right? So first of all, just making them aware about reporting on certain numbers, we will make them approach those issues with much more intentionality because they're going to have to think about it, right? So how many female employees do I have, right? Uh, why don't I have more? What can I do to have more, right? So these are like just very, very simple questions that if you don't ask the right question as an investor, the founder may not have the time because they have a gazillion like uh, priorities uh, to think about. But if they have to think about it, they're going to think about it. And, you know, they're problem solvers, right? So if they have the right um, motivation and they, they're coming, they're approaching things in good faith, then they will try to solve it. And you can also, your responsibility as a, as a, as a VC firm is to also uh, approach this with support. How can you help them to think about these things better so that we can improve things uh, in, a, in a positive way? One last thing also I want to touch on in terms of uh, stakeholders is that um, we also work with our founders a lot to think about what they're building and the wealth that they will create and how is this distributed. Uh, so we, we really look at governance um, in terms of uh, something that creates value, but also we look at things like uh, you know employee stock option uh, plans because we really believe that when we back these firms, the ones that end up being successful will, will be very successful and that uh, the wealth that's created needs to be distributed 
because this will create also um, a virtuous cycle going forward. A lot of those uh, people will become enriched and some of those will then become founders and then they will create uh, new startups that will create new wealth and prosperity and so on and so forth, right? So again, that's the long-term vision. We try to, to work with our stakeholders, whether it's our founders and our LPs to create that, but it's a, it's a lot of work, right? And of course, it's a constant work in progress as well. We're not claiming at all to have all the answers. We're learning like everybody else, but I think that we've tried to give, give this as much thought as possible to try to really make a dent in some of the issues that we're trying to tackle. Thank you, Ali. Uh, there were some great points there. And I think we've had a lot of conversations recently about the kind of power of, of relationship building. So thank you for that. So I did want to add uh, one final question to our podcast. I saw recently you had had an uh, investment in um, Lengo AI based in Dakar in Senegal. Uh, so I wondered if you would be able to talk us through that. What were some of your the highlights uh, throughout the investment process um, and why you decided to uh, make the investment in Lengo? Yeah, no problem. Happy to speak about uh, Lengo. So first of all, we're absolutely delighted that investment. It's our first investment in uh, Senegal our first investment in Francophone Africa, and uh, we, we couldn't be happier. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Max uh, oh, about a year ago um, in Dakar uh, when I went there for an ecosystem tour. Um, and uh, I was very impressed by what, uh, what his uh, vision was. And as we kind of uh, peeled the onion a little bit and got to meet his co-founders, uh, Xavier, and eventually Ismaila came on board as well, um, we were just, we loved the team. Uh, we loved uh, the solution they were building, which is basically uh, their tagline is stop guessing Africa. And basically they provide an AI powered SaaS solution um, to um, FMCG brands and distributors and kind of large players playing in this uh, large sector. Uh, and they provide them with vital insights on what's happening at the retail level um, uh, across uh, Senegal today. And, and they will uh, be expanding across the large markets in Africa. Um, and we back tested this many times with like really large brands. Uh, I'm not going to drop any names, but you know, think about the largest brand manufacturers of FMCG products on the planet. Uh, we are lucky enough to know those folks. We discussed this solution and they were like, nobody else is doing this. This is fantastic. And the fact also that they are leveraging uh, machine learning and AI to be able to uh, really uh, move the numbers on, on these insights and to provide very, very strong insights that are, uh, you know, that leverage the latest technology is something that we were extremely excited about. Um, our conviction is that uh, there's absolutely no reason why the next uh, Google or Amazon uh, cannot come out of Africa. Um, and the same goes for AI. Uh, so we're, we're delighted to have backed uh, an exceptional team like Lengo. Um, and we hope that they will be, uh, you know, one of the leading AI companies uh, in the world in the next 10 years. And uh, we're just delighted to be part of that journey. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what happens next with Lengo. So um, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out. But thank you so much, Ali, for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um I will drop a uh, link to your organization in the description. So if any of you want to go and find out more um, about Cassio Ventures, please do that. And thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to explore our other episodes. And we look forward to seeing you back here very soon.